You are Locked On Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome into Locked On Horn Frogs, your daily TCU podcast, a Monday edition. I'm Stephen Simcox. Matt Jennings is joining me as he always does. Uh, Frogs fall to Oklahoma 52-31. to That's the score they beat Texas Tech by the week before. So that's just a funny thing that happened. But Caleb Williams was uh, fantastic. The TCU defense never really had a chance. Um, but we'll start with some positives. Offensively, the Frogs played pretty well. Uh, Quentin Johnson had a huge game. And one thing that we talked about last week that was sort of a depressing game to play, we discussed, like, what was the best – Max Duggan game in his career Uh, and it's unfortunate that it might be last night in a loss (laughs) but he did play really well um, and it was up in the air I'd say until about an hour before kickoff if he was even going to be on the field he's playing through a broken bone in his foot and Matt he was efficient he was hitting guys on some um, you know deeper throws Uh, he, he played really well last night. Yeah, he looked really, really good. You know, I know, I know there are some people being like, oh, people want to nitpick Max all the time, and I get it. You know, he's an imperfect quarterback, fine, whatever. Um, he, like, he was not the problem. Like, he was not the problem last night. He mm-hmm. just wasn't, you know. It, it, for a guy playing on one foot, admittedly against an Oklahoma secondary, which is not great. And so he did exactly what a, an, a, a, an experienced good quarterback should do against that Oklahoma secondary, which he, he kind of carved him up. And even when he wasn't covering him up, um, he was like, I trust Quentin Johnston, who is finally back um, after a couple games gone, um, finally back. And, uh, you know, I just trust him to go up and make a play. And he did. And um, finished 20 of 30, 346 yards, four touchdowns, no picks, didn't get sacked once, um, also ran for 46 yards. Um you know, just was making good decisions, was accurate, you know, he, he looked great. Um, and, and that's the kind of game, you know, I, I, we've talked about this before, right. That he kind of looks at his best when they do, when they go up tempo when they go hurry up and, and they, um, they actually use the full space of the field from sideline to sideline in the passing game, rather than just, you know, throwing, throwing fades all day. Um, he was allowed to kind of, um, make those uh, inter- uh, those intermediate crossing routes and, and make some hay doing that. And he looked good. And it was nice to see him do that, um, uh, to get to do that. That often happens only when they're down by a lot, which is what happened yesterday, uh, Saturday for people listening on Monday. Um, but hey, you know, he did everything that could have possibly been asked of him. He looked, he looked good, especially given the fact that he was playing um, with, uh, with uh, a broken bone in his foot and yeah to your point like we thought it was going to be Matt we we legitimately thought it was going to be Matthew Downing until about 30 minutes before kickoff and if that would have been the case like this would have been much much uglier so credit to Max credit to, uh, to Quentin Johnston who came back and just was like playing like a fiend just like yeah. looked like a cyborg out there took like snatched an interception in the end zone out of somebody's hands and turned it into a touchdown and then like told him how short he was it was fantastic yeah, Q was on another level. Like, he's been really good. But that was against a team like OU, sort of a, hey, yeah, I can be maybe the best player on the field in a, in a game with dudes like that running around, which was impressive. Um, I am – I'm kind of past the point where I'm complaining about the offense now. Like, I, I think they kind of are what they are. They're going to score points. 
Um, I will say it is sort of frustrating that Quentin's there. You know, Max is in his third year. Zach Evans, we don't know what his status is. He didn't play on Saturday. But um, it, it does seem like they they leave some points on the field. If they could ever get this thing to all come together at once, uh, it, it could be something really special, Matt. But they are scoring over 30 points a game. And that's what, that's what I was saying yesterday. Like, I'm dreaming – like just like a, a daydream that I think every TCU fan is having is like, man, can you imagine having a healthy Quint like Max Duggan, Quentin Johnson, and Zach Evans all healthy and on the field at the same time, and having a defense that's just competent, not even good, just like average, and what that team could do, um, and 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 you know they could really that could be a team that could be dangerous, that could certainly be a ton of fun, that could compete for a spot in the Big Twelve title game, and that's you know, not what they have. Um, one more thing on the, on the offense, you know, I know like to your point, like we nitpick them all the time, but like, we're kind of like the results kind of speak for themselves. I know, I know, um, you know, you take some of this with a grain of salt. I think there's still structural problems with like the completing philosophies of the people who are in control of the offense. We've talked about that ad nauseum. We don't need to talk about it, but they're number 15 in the country in offensive SP plus they're number five in yards per carry and they're number 14 in yards per pass attempt. Like, even with all of the junk around, like, the way that offensive staff is structured and all the stuff we complained about before, like, this is literally, like, the ideal of, like, what we could possibly ask for given what we know the problems with personnel and staffing that they have. This is, like, they are putting out results that are far beyond whatever I could have possibly asked for so like to your point yeah I'm kind of done complaining about them until like they're the reason they lose a game again which to this point with the exception of I get you could make an argument that they lost to the Texas game because of the offense with the exception of that like they have not really been the problem in anyone any in, in any game and even in the Texas game if the defense had gotten like another stop or two then that game turns out totally differently it's kind of more on the defense anyway and that brings me to uh, something that sort of shifted for me last night. And we will, we might get back to some more specifics of the game. We might not. We'll just see kind of how the flow of the conversation goes. Uh, I, I don't know why that loss to Oklahoma really stuck with me because, I mean, that's one that you pencil in every year at this point. They're probably going to lose to them most likely. Um, and Lincoln Riley's offense is going to score a lot of points. I was just sort of taken aback. It makes sense given how bad they have looked this year. But the defense just looked confused and incompetent last night. I mean, the, the number of times that receivers were just running wide open with DBs desperately trying to catch up to them and then getting a tackle and then sort of looking around with a, a shoulder shrug of like, hey, what, what's happening? What, what busted here? Um, the run defense was better, but Kendi Brooks still – had his way and I feel like there has been a conversation brewing among the fan base about is it time to move on from from Gary and I have I have not been for that simply because I felt like the last few seasons it's mainly been about the offense and I thought if they could just find a way to convince him to change the offensive philosophy then this team could get back to doing what they had done uh in 2014 through 2017 but Matt, they're not winning games with that defense. And that, I mean, that's his baby. Like that's, that's what he does. 
Um, and they really haven't shifted the offensive philosophy. I think they just have more talented players than they've had in a while. Like I, I think they've figured out some things, but ultimately the identity is still sort of all over the place. Um, so I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute, but I wanted to give you an opportunity because Matt's been sort of stewing on this for a minute. Um, lay out a short case, a short synopsis for why you've kind of come to the conclusion of it's, it, it's time, barring some sort of miraculous turnaround over the last six games of the season. It, it's time to, to move on here. So let's, let's be honest, okay? Let's look at the results from 2018 through now, like three and a half seasons, right? Which is more than enough, more than enough of a sample size. Then it's, it's often more time than a new coach even gets in a new job, right? And let's just be fair, right? If Gary Patterson coached probably anywhere else, certainly at any school that TCU tries to consider itself a peer with. So let's talk about Texas. Let's talk about Oklahoma. Honestly, let's talk about Oklahoma State or LSU or Alabama or Arkansas. If Gary Patterson, let's understanding the context of like he built the program, I get that. But if he were at any other program, all right, and he had produced that where like the, the scrutiny was greater, right? Because he gets to be in a little bit of a bubble in Fort Worth, right? If he coached at any other program where the scrutiny was greater and he had, he had put forth the results that they've put forth over the past three and a half seasons where they're fighting for bowl eligibility in November every year. And sometimes they don't get it, right? And the offense is at war with itself every year. And now the defense that is his baby, to your point, is not, not living up to expectations. And those are the results that you're putting forth over three and a half years. And on top of that, you have every, um, let's generally, generously call them unforced errors um, off the field that Gary's made. Whether that's, um, like, just to be frank, um, letting Cavante Turpin stay on the team when he was credibly accused of uh, violence against a partner, um, getting sued by a former player for verbal abuse uh, in Colby Listonby, um, using a racial slur in front of a current player in Dylan Jordan in 2020, publicly lying and, and accusing another program of assaulting one of his assistant coaches in SMU earlier this year. And, 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 and. If any coach had that combination of off-field garbage and on-field mediocrity, he wouldn't be employed anymore. He just wouldn't. Now, the thing to, like I said, the, 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 uh, the context that, that holds all of this together and keeps him in place is, the, is, is what he has done for this program. They were, when he took over as head coach in 2000, in, in 2000 and until now, he, they, they, they claim six conference titles. They won a Rose Bowl. They won a Peach Bowl. They've got six first round draft picks. Like he is the reason they are what they are. And I get that a hundred percent. But he set a standard. He set a level of expectation for what this program is supposed to be. And he's no longer reaching it. And on top of no longer reaching it, he's also embarrassing the program that he has 
elevated to national prominence. And this is a longer answer than you wanted, and so I apologize. But when you consider all of those factors, there's not another way out of this to me other than him saying, willingly stepping down, which quite frankly, I just don't think he's going to do, but he could willingly step down or someone's going to have to tell him to, to move on. Someone's going to have to, to push him out. And that's a sucky way for, for Gary Patterson's time at TCU to end. But that to me, there is no other outcome except for one of those two things. And I think the latter as of right now is more likely. It's just a matter of when. No, that's all fair. And uh, I appreciate the answer. It's, it's good stuff. Um, let me, so let me kind of share where I fall on this right now, because I, I'm at the point where I think the next logical step, and I don't even know how you go about this, but is going to him and having a hard conversation about like, Hey, we got to hire a defensive coordinator and an offensive coordinator that are not your friends. Like you can have input in the coaching um, but we got, we got to get somebody. We have to have a real bill search. And then I think you give them a year under a new staff to see if anything changes. Uh, but the off the field issues are, are relevant too. you know, the Cavante Turpin thing. I remember the bizarre press conference where he was like holding a printout from some website they had used. From like, I, it was, it was like rapsheets.com yes. or something. Yeah, and I was just like, give me an absolute break. Because he had gotten arrested in New Mexico in the off season for a, a family violence charge. But there was confusion because they looked it up and they didn't find it. And it was, it was discovered quickly the day that he got arrested that it had happened earlier mm-hmm. that year. As a quick aside, just, this is not what this podcast is about friend of the podcast, Shahan J. Raja, who was working for texasfootball.com at the time, um, found the full arrest report after, like, after from New Mexico in like 30 minutes. All he did was call, I don't remember if he called the court or if he called the, the, the Las Cruces uh, police department, right? This was not hard information to find at the time. No. And yet, yeah, and, 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 and TCU um, did not do their due diligence, didn't do the easy thing to make these. And like, the, again, unforced errors. Sorry, continue. Well, and, and the media stuff is exhausting. And I think it, it gets stuck in our crawl more because we lived in that world. And we understand like that job and what it is and what people are trying to do. I, I don't know how much that actually affects the fan base. And I'm not even sure how much it affects things on a national scale other than if some national writer sees it, they kind of get a kick out of it and laugh about it. Uh, but it is it is much more grating when you're mediocre. Like when you're good, it's kind of like, oh, it's cantankerous Gary Patterson. Like he doesn't like talking to the media. When you're mediocre, it's just annoying. Like let's just be real about it. Um, but all that being said, I think this is this is sort of coming to a head. But something else, and, and I don't have a great answer to this. I do think among people that are on Twitter and message boards, this is sort of the direction we're shifting. I don't know how much of a snapshot that is of the general population of TCU fans, but that's where we're at. Um, For boosters who mostly skew older and have seen a lot of TCU football, even at this level, which I think for younger people like us who have seen some pretty impressive teams is really frustrating I'm not sure how much, like, I think it's probably frustrating, but I also believe that they, 
they're looking at this like if you told us 20 years ago, we would we would have a program that was competitive with Texas Tech and Baylor and Texas and was better than some other schools in the Big 12. And we were in the Big 12 and we we're in the Power Five. That still means a lot. And obviously what he did leading up to this means a lot. So I, I'm not sure where where he's at with that segment of the population, Matt. And I don't know, you, you know what that means for if anything is going to change. Yeah, and that's going to be the thing that ultimately drives if and when there is a change, right? Because ultimately, like, I've got no sway with Jeremiah Adani. I just don't. I don't. I'm not a booster. I don't have, I don't have the deep pockets to, to, to make anybody listen to me, and that's fine. I don't want to have that power. Um, it's the power brokers. It's the people. It's, it's, it's the big-time boosters who ultimately have the ability to pressure an athletic department, an athletic director, um, a chancellor to make a call on this and yeah to your point i don't i don't know what the conversations in um in those rooms are like right now i know that gary has strong relationships with um the big money boosters at tcu has had strong relationships with a long time and they are to your point super appreciative of of him because he's taken them he's the winningest coach in school history he's taken them to heights that they've never been to before um and so, yeah, in, in that regard, I, I, you know, I think he probably gets a little more slack from them than from uh, folks like us who graduated, um, you know, you know, some, sometime in the 2010s who, you know, you know, those older, those, those older fans might say that were, you know, spoiled or whatever. And that's, that's fair. I get that. Um, so, yeah, that, that's, that's really what it comes down to is what's their breaking point. That's the thing that pushes them to the brink. Um, and I don't know what that is. I will say, I think losing twice in a row to SMU, when they know what SMU has been since the, you know, since the death penalty, and, they, and that was the team that they loved beating up on for so long, and the fact that Gary's calling card, the defense, is now one of the worst in the country not just in the big 12 but in the country um those might be things i don't know but those might be things that start pushing that start pushing people on the defense they're number 77 in the country in defensive sp plus which you know that adjusts for opponents and and all of that um the raw stats are uh even worse in that they are uh 122nd excuse me they're 108th in sack rate they're 122nd in yards allowed per pass. They're 124th in yards allowed per carry. Steven, do you know how many teams there are in the FBS? The 130? There's 130. Yeah. It's bad. It's real, real bad. And so, yes, to that point, since Gary had built his identity and his, and, 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 um, his, uh, his relationship with these boosters is based on years and years of success that's been predicated on defense, the fact that there's now cracks showing in that foundation, maybe that does push him. I don't know. Well, on the defense, they're not forcing turnovers. I mean, I know THD had the pick six against Tech, and they had a couple of picks against Casey Thompson in Texas, but overall, that's not happening either. And and I don't know. I mean, like West Virginia has a pretty terrible offense, and it's at home, so I like their chances. <laughs> but this defense hasn't really slowed down anybody. I mean, Cal Cal is a bad team, and they gave up 32 points to Cal. I guess you could say 25 because one of those was a pick six, but still, it was. It was a bad day at the office defensively. Um, so I, I don't even know how many more wins there are. And, you know, a funny thing, and Matt, I might totally be reading into this wrong, 
But one thing that he started saying in the last few years that I find funny is this idea of you got to get to six wins and then you have to stack more after that. And I understand what he's saying. Like bowl eligibility is a baseline goal. But I'm also like wondering if, like, are they starting to concede that this is who they are, that they're a team that's going to be fighting for six to eight wins a year? Because that's just a really weird thing to say. It's you're three and three. I mean, you have six more games to go. It's not like you're four and six and you're trying to win two more to get to a bowl game. There's a lot in front of you, and it's, that narrative's already kind of starting or that dialogue is starting of let's just get to six wins and see what happens. It feels like the goalposts, the measure of success has moved a little bit. Now, to be fair to Gary, anyone who's gone and sat in the 4-7 scene room for a media conference, they see the pyramid on the mm-hmm. wall. He's got his goals pyramid, right? Yeah. And getting to six wins and getting to a bowl game has always been a level on that pyramid. And so in a way, yes, that has always been a goal. It's been a foundational goal. Like they've got like their like team goals in terms of just like how they're going to play at the bottom. And then they have like their, their next level is win out of conference. And then their, uh, their next level is win in conference and get to six wins. And then it's compete for a conference town. And then it's compete for a playoff spot. Then it's compete for a national title. So it, it, it elevates right in that pyramid. And so that's always been there. But to your point, they've never been bad enough where they need to say it out loud on a consistent basis. And that's the thing. They've never been to the point where it wasn't assumed that they were going to hit that spot on the pyramid. And right now it's not a given that they're going to make that spot on the pyramid. And that's wild to think about when you think about just like the resources, the recruiting, the facilities, like where this team stands relative to other schools in the big 12 and they, and they have struggled year in and year out. This is going to be the fourth year in a row where they're like fighting to try and not finish in the bottom half of the league. Mm-hmm. It's tough, man. It's real tough. Well, and the final thing I'll say about it is I don't think Gary woke up and just forgot how to coach. Like I do think he's a good football coach, a great football mind. But this idea that, well, they're just struggling because they don't have great quarterback play or because they don't have good play calling or that there's not enough internal support within the coaching staff. That ultimately all that like that falls at the feet of the head coach. Who is responsible for that? It's yes, bad, bad quarterback play can handicap a head coach. But this is not even the NFL where you're, you know, hoping to get somebody in free agency or drafting somebody like you. You're recruiting people. If you're having to go reach for, if you're having to go pull Alex Delton from UTEP to have an extra body in the quarterback room and hope that Matthew Baldwin's knee regenerates coming down from Ohio State, like that's a roster management problem. And like that, that's part of your job. And if, if Sean Robinson is not who you thought he was, and then Max Duggan is in year three and we're still having questions about his development, and the guy behind him is a very nice young man who was a walk-on at Georgia, like that's 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 an issue that you that you've created. Even if you're a defensive guy, that's an issue that you've created. If your play calling is stuck in the mud and not creative and bad on offense, well, you have the power to fix that. If you don't have enough support on your defensive staff to start to field a defense that is relevant, or, or if your defensive strategy that was so good for so long suddenly people have caught up to it, like. I know that's a lot of responsibility, but that's 
that's why you get paid six million dollars. Like that, that's part of the gig. It's it's why he's a top ten paid coach in college football to figure that out. He, to, your, to your point, like who who else would be responsible? It feels very much like the I think you should leave meme, like the guy in the hot mm-hmm. dog outfit. It's like we're all trying to figure out who did this, right? Yeah. And that's Gary right now. It's like we're all trying to figure out what the problem is. It's like y'all, we're looking at it. We know what the problem is. We know what the answers are, or at least we know what the beginnings of what answers could look like it's the unwillingness to entertain those answers it's the unwillingness to change it's the unwillingness to adapt and that's the thing to me that is just just wild to me because ultimately tcu got to where they are they got to the point where the team has expectations where the team has expectations that these results are unacceptable right the reason they're at this level is because Gary pushed them to change, right? Mm-hmm. He pushed them to change. He innovated in terms of the way they play defense, to your point. And now that 4-2-5, variations of it, like everybody plays nickel as their base defense. And they, crib yeah. no- and they all crib notes from Gary in terms mm-hmm. of the pattern matching coverages and all of that. He innovated that. He changed. He, he made the program different right? He pushed the program to invest in facilities. He pushed the program to recruit the way that they do. Everyone, it was, it's, it's been such a great story for years, and it's true, is, is this idea that TCU under Gary has been this, um, uh, this prime example of talent identification and evaluation and development, taking guys that everybody else overlooked, or at least at the big, the, the, that the big programs, the blue blood programs, so to speak, overlooked and turning them into all American players, turning them into all conference players, turning them into, dra- into NFL draft picks, sometimes by making them switch positions. When you're thinking about Jerry Hughes and Ty Summers, uh, guys who played offense and then they played defense under Gary and turned into just phenomenal players and had futures in the league, right? And that's, that's Gary saying, I'm not going to play the game everybody else plays. I'm not going to let TCU keep doing the thing that they were doing. We're going to change. We're going to do something different. And then after two sucky years in the Big 12, or at least middling years in the Big 12 to start his time in the conference, he was like, fine, I'll change what I do on offense. I'll bring in Sonny Cumbie. I'll bring in Doug Meacham, and we'll overhaul this thing. And I remember I was, I was, I was at those press conferences in 2014, and he was talking about like, Hey, you know, you want to survive in this profession, you got to change. And he said, when, when, when both of them were hired, when someone asked like, Hey, are you going to let them like all this has been made about like how Cliff Kingsbury practices at Texas tech and the pace that they go. And it's like, are you okay? Are you comfortable with that? And he was like, I'm not going to tell them. I'm not going to tell them what they were supposed to do. They, I'm, I let them come in and like, I, you got to let them run the thing the way they want to run the thing. Right. And what was the result? They had two of the best offenses in school history. And they had guys on the roster who had been on the roster in 2012 and 2013, like Trevon Boykin and Josh Dotson. And they, and they tapped into previously untapped potential because they were willing to build what they, build what they wanted to do around the personnel that they had. They changed. They did something radically different than what they were willing to do before. And so it's just... It's quite frankly just staggering to me to have sat in those, or stood, stood on the side of the practice field for those conversations that Gary would have and what he would say in those conversations about that, the need to adapt, the need to change, the need to do different things when stuff isn't working. 
And to look at that coach and look at the results that those changes produced in the Peach Bowl and being playoff contention and being a top 10 team, right? And it's wild to me to see that that coach, to see what he has become now, which is a coach who is unwilling to adapt, who is unwilling to change, who gives the same pat, just coach speak answers to what the problems are all the time, but doesn't make any, um, and then when he makes um, so-called changes to try and fix it, rather than like, okay, I'm gonna overhaul things again. He's like, let me bring in my buddy, Jerry Kill, and, and he'll be the manager of the offense. When I need a quarterback coach, let me promote Kenny Hill. Nothing against Kenny, which Kenny Hill, it must be said, still holds the school record for completion percentage in a season. Kenny Hill gets too much crap for his time at TCU. Um, no shade at all. But he's only ever coached under Gary. You, you didn't want to bring in anybody who, would actually, who, who, had, who had been a quarterback's coach before for this crucial year in Max Duggan's development? No, I'm going, to bring, I'm, I'm going to just promote the guy that I'm comfortable with, the guy who I know is going to do things the way that I want him to do it. And that's the thing that's just wild to me is that unwillingness to change and, and, and honestly taking a step backward from the things that made him good, that made him great as a coach in yeah. his previous acts. Well, and we all keep waiting for that paradigm shift that happened in 2014 to happen again. We thought it would be this year. It doesn't appear it's going to be. They play West Virginia this week and we'll see what happens. Um, but this is going on another season where you're, you're just sort of watching a team kind of spin its wheels in a lot of ways. And, and I want like, I want him to be carried off on the shoulders of the players after he wins the Alamo bowl or something. Like I want that. I think that's best for the program. I think it's the best for the school. I want the dude to take a picture with a statue, you know, after a, a well-earned um, send off, but the results just aren't there right now. So uh, Matt Matt uh, is very smart. He's He went to the Honors College. He was way too smart to be a sports broadcasting major, but he, he did it anyway. Um, so you might you might have some of this in in, uh, in writing form tomorrow. Did you dip the pen? I, you know, you know, every time I think I'm, every time I think I'm out, keep pulling me back in. No, yeah, I, I wrote a thing. Uh, by the time people listen to this, uh it's gonna be it's gonna be online you can go uh it'll be on it'll be on twitter you know it's at at matt a jennings and you guys can read the more um the more well thought out version of everything that 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 Mm -hmm. we've said here on this podcast um and it's just it's it yeah and and we'll talk we'll we'll have uh, it's having this conversation of like hey what's next and if someone's not willing to change then who's willing to make the change for them yeah. So that'll be, that'll go find it. It's out there. <laughs> at Matt A. Jennings on Twitter is probably the best way to get to it, but uh, we might be looking at a staring contest or it might not, you know, it might end up going six and six and winning the cheese at bowl. And, and we'll do all this uh, cheese at bowl doesn't exist anymore. Guaranteed rate bowl or something like that. We might be doing all this all over again uh, in the fall of 2022. We'll see. But Matt, thank you for joining us. Uh, this is Lockdown Horn Frogs, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network your team every day.